three. Dagger! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of Well Beyond the Arc. I'm Manoli. And I'm Montana. And we'll be talking NBA basketball with you here, as always. Uh, today is episode four, as we're recording here on Monday. Uh, and don't forget, before we get started, to subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, especially, uh, hit that subscribe button in the bottom left under uh, the Yankee and the Brit. Uh, please subscribe. You can get all the notifications of when we have new episodes here at Well Beyond the Arc, in addition to the other podcasts of part of the Yankee and the Brit sports group. So Montana, we've had what I like to call my favorite weekend in the NBA season, Christmas in April, baby. The NBA playoffs are here and with a lot has happened since uh, we last spoke. Uh, we had the play-in tournament, LeBron James's favorite uh, part of the season. He loves that play-in tournament, as you know. Um, we had uh, the seven, eight, nine, and 10 <coughs> seeds in both the West and East score off for those last two playoff spots. Just to give everyone a quick recap, we had Cleveland taking on the, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, falling to them. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Let me take a step back. Cleveland, yeah, Cleveland falling to the Brooklyn Nets, excuse me. Uh, Charlotte, um, who I sarcastically but actually picked last week to, to make a run, got killed by Atlanta, just like they did last year in the playing tournament against the Indiana Pacers. And then Atlanta beat Cleveland out for that eighth seed in the East. In the West, it was the Timberwolves over the Clippers, the Pelicans over the Spurs, and then the Pelicans pulled out a win to get that eighth seed over the Clippers. Any of those games a surprise to you, Montana? I see you shaking your head. Any of those a shocker to you, or did it play out just the way you thought? Um... I would say the Pelicans making the playoffs was a surprise to me. Um, the Clippers team, you know, Paul George obviously went out with injury and um, came back and then had some troubles coming coming back completely. And, you know, that team is just – Kawhi's out. That team is just not the team that we all thought they were going to be before the season. So I'm not super shocked um, that they did not make the playoffs, but I'm very shocked that the Pelicans are the team that handed them that loss. Um, Pelicans obviously not a – fantastic organization they're building and we kind of saw that especially towards the end of the season but Clippers Pelicans was the one shock I, I had a feeling the Hawks I think I picked Hawks and Nets out of the east and then I think I had Clippers and um, Timberwolves out of the west so I was just one off and that was just the one that really shocked me yeah I I think the the more news around the Pelicans is about who's not playing for them and that's Zion Williamson who's been out the whole year um, you know, the, we'll say a disagreement, uh, to put it lightly between him and Pelicans management on whether or not he's healthy enough to play, you know, posting YouTube videos of him dunking, uh, between the legs. Yeah. It looked a little overweight, but he, hey, he got up there. He, he jumped higher than I did. That's for sure. But, you know, I, I think, uh, I knew the Pelicans had a chance. I really thought it would be the, the Timberwolves and the Clippers coming out of the West, um, East kind of played out. I'm not too shocked about what happened over in the East, but I'm with you about the Pelicans getting squeaking in. Um, the Spurs, you know, you know, they didn't seem like the, you know, great story that for them to get in as the 10th seed, but you know, I, I didn't think they were going to go far, and you know, Pelicans took care of business there. 
Minnesota came out and came out, and that that was a heck of a game between the Timberwolves and the Clippers. There, a little back and forth. You mentioned Paul George coming back from injury, but the Clippers losing him to COVID protocols really, you know, kind of just cemented their their exit for the season after that game. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I it's unfortunate because I think had they had him, they would not have lost the Pelicans. Just adding that star power and what he brings to the court. But, you know, he was out and the Pelicans took advantage of that, you know, weak spot and they kind of took over that game and, and squeaked into the playoffs. I don't think they're making it past the Suns. I don't think they're making it past four games with the Suns, but just making it with that young core is good to see. Yeah, especially after that that tough start they had to the season. I think starting off uh, winless for a number of games, but, you know, getting Brandon Ingram back, getting a trading for C.J. McCollum, they they have a couple pieces, but not strong enough to get to go very far, in my opinion, either. But back to that Clippers and and Timberwolves game, the Target Center in Minneapolis was on fire. That was a heck of a game, uh, back and forth battle between the young and experienced Timberwolves and and, and the grinding uh, Clippers. Minnesota pulled the game out, and after that game, Minnesota clinched the seventh seed. But if you were in the Target Center that night, you would have thought the Timberwolves had won the NBA championship. The way that Patrick Beverly was was celebrating, especially the guys on in, uh, inside the NBA were mocking him as the, saying that the seventh seed is celebrating like they won the championship. Montana, in your opinion, do you think the Timberwolves celebrated too hard, too little, or just the right amount? Um, I would say they celebrated just the right amount. We have to look at what that game meant to a couple of players on that Timberwolves team. Um, for Cat, he lost his mother close to that day that they had that game. Uh, I think it'd be two years ago now. He lost his mother. I believe it was really close to that game within like within the few days of that game, if not on the day of the game. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. But that was special for him. His mom was his biggest fan, and he had a heck of a game, and they made the playoffs. After a not great start to the season, they were really up and down. Um, so him celebrating like he did make per- made perfect sense. Patrick Beverly, you know, not a huge fan, never will be. But he gave a lot to the Clippers, and then they kind of just pushed him aside. It was for better pieces, and it was for a better future for their team. But it makes sense that he's feeling a little bit salty after giving a lot of his career to them. And he had a pretty okay game. You know, he showed up, grabbed that intensity and that leadership. And beating that Clippers team that kind of gave up on him probably did feel like winning the championship. To Cat, playing a game close to the day they lost one of his biggest fans, probably did feel like winning a championship. You know, all those young guys around them, it probably did feel like winning a championship. When your leaders celebrate like that, the rest of the team will too. It doesn't matter what game it is. I think it's completely valid. J.J. Redick um, on his podcast talked about how You know, he didn't get why people were making fun of them. Like, it's a big deal. It doesn't matter what level you're at. When you win a game that either moves you forward in the season or kicks you out or wins you, whatever, whatever the circumstance is, when you win a hard-fought big game, celebrating like that is totally okay. I think we should see it more often. Obviously, some teams winning that game wouldn't have been a big deal, but for what this game meant to that team, I totally think the celebration was necessary. And, and... Rightfully, they should have done it. I think that it was deserved. I I really, really want to argue with you. I really, really want to argue with the guy that went to Duke and J.J. Redick. But I I can't. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm also a fan of JJ Reddick's podcast, uh, Old Man in the Three. Um, look, I, you made a good point about Patrick Beverly, and my mini hot take, if you will, I'll say warm take, is that Timberwolves don't make the playoffs, or they're not even in the position to play in the play-in without Patrick Beverly. Uh, you're 100% correct. I mean, Patrick Beverly uh, played a number of years with the Clippers. You know, he's one of our favorite members of the All Pest team, uh, guys that you want to be, that you want to play with, but hate to play against. Uh, he's a veteran. Those guys in the Timberwolves don't have anybody that intense, that type of veteran leadership that can, that's, you know, even made the playoffs much, had any sort of success. Not that Patrick Beverly has any rings or, or things of that nature, but he's been with winning teams. He knows what it looks like. He, he's been on competitive teams that have competed for a championship. Um, and for the Clippers to just, you know, basically dismiss him, you know, if I was being thrown out like that, I'd want to celebrate and throw it in their face too. And the fact that he got to do it to the team that, that traded him away. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Go, go crazy. It's the playoffs. If you don't win that game, you have a chance to go home. This is, this is the chances for, for these teams to, to win championships here. I thought, absolutely. I was a hundred percent, the Timberwolves a hundred percent, but behind them, excuse me, of celebrating. But one thing I want to focus on here is the, the, the talk has been about whether or not they should have celebrated as hard. What everybody fails to remember is the Minnesota Timberwolves have had probably the least amount of success of any NBA franchise uh, in NBA history. I mean, you can put the Clippers up there. Um, there might be a couple other teams, but Minnesota's only made the playoffs once in the last, I don't know, 16, 17 years. Mm -hmm. They've only made it once since Kevin Garnett wore a Timberwolves jersey. He was traded in 2007. Um, they've only made the Western Conference Finals once where they lost to the Lakers back in 04. So Minnesota, from an NBA standpoint, is not used to seeing a winner. They're not used to seeing success. Go crazy, Timberwolves fans. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a bunch of other teams that aren't even he didn't even get a chance to play in the play in game. So absolutely 100 percent and behind the Timberwolves fans and, and Patrick Beverly and his teammates for celebrating. So one thing that wasn't celebrated as much uh, is the Boston Celtics making the NBA playoffs, because in Boston, they're used to those successes with 17 championship banners hanging and hanging in the TD Garden. Uh, they had the probably what was the most exciting playoff game of the weekend taking on the Brooklyn Nets in game one uh, Kyrie Irving making his return to Boston he played two years for the Celtics now is a member of the Nets uh, Celtics pulled out a thriller on a Jason Tatum game-winning layup at the buzzer with his final score 115-114 Montana what did you make of that game um, I mean, I thought it was exactly what I think a lot of us thought it was going to be. It was a close game. It was high intensity. All the stars were really, really, you know, showing out. You know, did every player play the greatest? You know, Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett, excuse me, Kevin Durant, thinking of the wrong players right now. Kevin Durant was not efficient. You know, he scored over 20 points, but they weren't efficient. You know, he really did not have a great first game. We've seen this happen. He comes back and blows everyone out of the water with 60 points. Probably what's going to happen is he's going to come back and have a little bit of fire. Kyrie Irving had a very good game. Went down to the wire with Kyrie Irving. He was everywhere. He was controlling the pace. He was keeping that Nets team in that game. Celtics were fueled by a couple of different things, I believe. You know, obviously there's a lot of tensions and a lot of things not just because Kyrie Irving played for them, also because this Celtics team believes they're better than the Nets and the Nets believe the other one, the other. So they're both 
they both think they're the better team, and that's going to make for an amazing seven-game series that I think is going to go all the way down to six or seven. Yeah, I, I can see that too. This is definitely going to be one of the more, if not the most competitive series in the opening round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, going through, we talked about the Celtics the last couple of times uh, we got on the podcast here. The Celtics had four different guys scoring 20 points or more, including Marcus Smart and Al Horford that you don't necessarily uh, expect to happen game and game out. Uh, Jason Tatum had 31. Jalen Brown had 23. You expect those two guys to deliver, and they and they did. Um, despite the fact that, you know, the Celtics have, or we talked about their depth. They only played eight guys yesterday. They only needed to play eight guys. It's the playoffs. It's the time to cut down ro- uh, ro- uh, rotations. Um, and, you know, Ime Adoka made, made the right calls, including not calling a timeout in transition to set up Jason Tatum's game-winning layup. The Nets are going to go as far as both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will take them. One of those guys can go off and win a game, but they can't win a series with just one of those guys. And even both of those guys, it's a matter of pick your poison with those two, but both of them are going to have to be on and be spectacular for the Nets to have a chance to win the series. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the talk after the game was more so not just about the, how, how, competitive the game was and and Tatum's game winner, but it was the interaction of Kyrie Irving with the Celtics fans. There was a couple moments there where he was seen jawing with some of the fans courtside. um, And then even later on told one of the fans that he was number one, uh, which he'll probably get fined by uh, commissioner Adam Silver here in the next day or so. But what did you make of, uh, we'll call it Kyrie Irving versus uh, the Celtics fans. He wouldn't be the first one to take on the, the fans in Boston, but what, what did you make of that? Well, first of all, it makes for great basketball. Um, the NBA does a great job of giving us what we want to see. They really fuel the fire. So the fire that has been the Celtics versus Kyrie Irving has been building since he left, and for good reason. Let's let's look back. Let's, let's go back to right after his last season with them. Right after the season ended, he's like, I would love to come back if they would have me. The way he worded it was perfect. He knew he wasn't going back, but he wanted to word it like, yeah, if they'll have me back, I'll, I'll come back. Well, then he didn't go back. So, you know, he kind of, in my opinion, was trying to dodge the fire from leaving after such a short time. So I don't think he ever planned on going back. I really don't. Um, then, obviously, he had his incidences since then. You know, he stomped on the Celtics logo. Um, you don't do that. A lot of Celtics legends just went off when he did that. Even even Bill Russell, who really keeps a pretty like calm mindset and doesn't really go off on players, went went off in an interview on him for stopping on that. That's a disrespectful thing. It goes against a lot of history, you know, this and that. My whole thing is I think it's a fair fight on both sides. Celtics fans have every reason to boo him and to not like him. Some of the things they were saying, it kind of gets to a level where it's a little bit past just trash talk and it gets a little personal and sometimes a little bit more than that. I think that there's something fans need to check themselves on, but I don't think that their dislike for Kyrie Irving is unwarranted. Kyrie Irving went on record yesterday or um, whenever, press conference, and then also went out on Twitter and basically said, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it right back. My whole thing is that's totally okay. If that's his mindset, that's fine. But I don't think that's really it. I think Kyrie, I think they are trying to break Kyrie Irving and put him out of these games and give the Celtics that edge. And yes, 
he gave us that, oh, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to show the fans they're, you know, they're number one. I'm going to yell something on my way out, you know, into the locker room. But I think more than anything else, that's not fight. That's him starting to break. I don't think he can handle that. And I think that it will break him down. And by game four or five, I don't see him scoring more than 18 points. Maybe that's a hot take. Wow. I don't know. He had a huge game one. But I think as the games go on, all this trash talk, all this stuff is going to add up. And he's going to be out by game five or six. He might still be on the court, but we won't see Kyrie Irving. So I think it's all about the strategy at this point. You know, I think it's all okay. about breaking that player, breaking one of your best players. And so, you know, I think it's warranted on both sides. I do think the fans need to watch some of the things that they say and maybe vice versa. But I do think that it's competitive and it's fueling it. And I think it's going to cause, you know, kind of a really good fight in this game and in this series. Yeah. Interesting takes on Kyrie Irving as far as him being, you know, we'll all use your words, out by game five, game six, and not averaging more or not having more than 18 points a game. Look, it, I struggle with this because, you know, any normal person, if someone comes up to you and says some of the things that they were saying to Kyrie Irving, you know, how do you just sit back and take that? You know, the, the, these professional athletes, whether it's in the NBA or any other sports, more so in the NBA because the fans are closest to the action in the NBA. Um, and it hasn't just happened to Kyrie Irving. It's happened to LeBron James. It's happened to Russell Westbrook. It's happened to a number of guys over the past few years. And it's just been you know magnified, especially with social media, fans catching things, uh, interactions with players going back and forth with their, with their cell phone cameras and things of that nature. You know, look, part of me is, as a fan, I think you have every right to talk trash. Um, especially to an opposing player. That's the whole point of having the home corner advantage. You're supposed to create a hostile environment for the opponents. You want to get in their heads. Like you said, you want to try to break Kyrie Irving. But I think there's a line, and we could spend a whole other podcast on this, on what that line is between trash, appropriate trash talk from fans, telling somebody they suck, and then stepping over that line and what that means, right? From the perspective of Kyrie Irving, yeah, have a little trash talk. Have a little banter back with the fans. It's playoff basketball, just like he said. But I think he's got to be careful and not go feed too much into that because then it takes you out of what you need to do for your team, right? It takes you out of executing. You're more so you're playing the fans instead of the Boston Celtics at that point. So I wouldn't want to piss off a player that ta talented and go off. Um, I mean, you've seen it with with well back in the day with Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller. I mean, ask Spike Lee how that worked out when he, when he talked trash to Reggie Miller back in the, in the mid nineties, didn't work out for him too well, but some guys can't, can't take the pressure and maybe him flipping the bird was cracking under pressure. Um, maybe, you know, he'd rather go play somewhere else than, than, than Boston, but that's who's on the schedule. That's who they have to play. Um, I think he's got to be a little stronger than that easy for me to say, easy for us to say, um, but trash talk, but don't feed in too much of that. Focus on on, on your team. Use the, the the fans' trash talk and whatever they're saying to you, whatever they're doing, flicking you off, throwing stuff at you. Use it as fuel. Because if you go back and beat their team and send them home, there's not a damn thing they can see after that. That's the best way to shut up a trash talker is to beat them. Easy for me to say. I know. But I think that, you know, Kyrie, now it's going to be something, uh, a storyline for the rest of the series. In addition to the play between the Celtics and the Nets, you know, is Kyrie going to break? What, what, what's the next thing that's going to happen? So we shall see how that goes, but I think this series will go at least six. It might even go seven and um, we'll see how it goes. And from 
the two and seven matchup, we need to talk about a team that you and I haven't talked about too much here over our first three episodes. And that's the Miami Heat. We haven't talked much about the number one seed in the East at length. And they took, took on the Atlanta Hawks, who managed to get into the playoffs by winning the eighth seed by defeating uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in that uh, pretty close battle there in the play-in. But I happen to believe that Miami is the one team in the NBA that plays defense, even in the regular season. But you saw it yesterday with the blowout of Atlanta. So, Montana, what did you think of Miami's game one win over Atlanta? Is it just another game, or is that kind of the, what we should be expecting for the rest of the season, or series, excuse me? I would say Miami's a team that plays aggressive all the time. When they added Jimmy Butler to that roster, it just went up even more. Kyle Lowry, no one talks about how intense and how aggressive he runs his pace. You add Kyle Lowry to the team, you just keep adding these players that are aggressive on both sides of the ball. The more players you add that are aggressive on both sides of the ball, the more balanced your team is. I think this Heat is the most balanced team in the NBA at the moment. I would say at least in this postseason, they're the most balanced team. There's teams that are right up there with them, but I think they're a step above with their balance. Um, they locked Trey Young down. They locked um, a couple of big Atlanta players down and held them. And I was watching that game. I was lucky to catch some of it. And it was very close early on um, because Miami couldn't score. Once Miami gets in their rhythm on offense, I think it's going to take a lot of teams – a hard time to beat them because of how solid their defense is. If their offense is going, their defense is already there. So I think this Miami team is really, really, really a solid defensive team. I think they may be one of the best defensive teams and one of the most balanced teams we've seen in the last five years. Um, obviously, there's other teams that are up there with them, but I think they just bring a level of balance and a level of athleticism and intensity that a lot of teams lack, at least in some areas of the ball. So I think this Heat team is great, and I think that they are going to take care of the Hawks pretty easily. Um, they locked those players down so well. I mean, they locked every single one of the Hawks' offensive weapons that was playing was locked down. They had a few players out with injuries, but the main players that we think of when we think of the Atlanta Hawks, most of them didn't score over 15. So I think they had one player that was close to 20 or at 20, and the rest were right under that, even their stars. Yeah. So. When Trey Young only scores eight points, you can't expect to win the game as a Hawks player, as a Hawks fan. So this this Heat team is real, and I think we're going to see them blow through some of these teams pretty easily early on. Yeah, I think I think this was a reality check for for the Atlanta Hawks. You know, they they would play you know teams towards the you know seven, eight, nine, ten seeds. Um, those are the teams they can beat. But then they got to to Miami in Miami, and I'll say it again. I think Miami, the Miami Heat is one of the few teams in the NBA that plays defense. Um, they just came out and hit them in the mouth, especially when they started getting shots to fall. Uh, the Miami Heat, that is. I mean, Atlanta didn't have a shot. You mentioned Trey Young having eight points. I'll, I'll give you some more stats. Kevin Herter, eight points under a season average. Bogdan Bogdanovich, six points, well under a season average. You mentioned Trey Young. He shot one of 12. Now, I don't think that's going to happen throughout. He's not going to be one one of 12 through each game of the series. But I do think I do see Miami 
making quick work of Atlanta. I think it could go five games. I think Atlanta might uh, steal one in Atlanta, maybe, but it very well could be a sweep. But I have the series going five. I think Miami, you know, we talked about Boston. I've even brought it up a couple of times with how many guys they have between six, five and six, eight. Um, that, you know, when you switch off pick and rolls, but that's basically most of what the NBA is these days is pick and rolls and, and pick and roll defense. Miami, he can do something similar, but they got guys between six, three and six, 10. Each of those guys is interchangeable three and D guys, or, you know, two and D guys, whatever, whatever you might uh, prefer. I mean, I'll just go through the names. Obviously everyone knows Jimmy Butler, um, but don't forget about PJ Tucker. He got a ring last year with the bucks. Um, you have Kyle Lowry. He's won a championship with Toronto. Uh, Max Struess is six, five can play defense and hit an outside shot. Bam out of bio. We'll talk about him a little bit later on, but he's the anchor there. Should, you know, maybe, uh, someone that's going to be on an all defensive team this year. You got Gabe Vincent, you know, six, three, six, four, three and D or two and D guy, Duncan Robinson. Okay. Maybe he's not known for his defense, but he's definitely known for shooting. He can do that. Tyler Hero, we'll talk about him in a little bit as well. 6'5", can shoot the three, can play D. So, you know, you mentioned it. They're probably the most balanced, but they're also the most versatile as well. So, I don't know. I, I think five games. I can see it totally going five games, Montana. And, and I agree. I don't think this Hawks team is going to be pushed around too easily. I think they have a lot of fight in them. The whole reason they made the playoffs is because they had fight in them. You know, they struggled. They were a bottom-tier team for a lot of the season. They got bumped down to 12 at one point. And then they fought their way back up and made this play and then made the playoffs. Um, I think this Atlanta team is slowly and surely figuring it out. I see them being a Grizzly type of team where they have that season where they jump from bottom-tier to top three. I'm not going to say that's going to be next season, but I think it's coming. Um Trey Young, you mentioned you don't think that he'll he'll have the same type of game. I do think that they'll change how they're using him, but I don't think we will see much of a change in his scoring because when you have Jimmy Butler and then switching to Bam on you, you're not going to score that many points. And and Jimmy Butler was on him a lot of the game. He was in his face. He had his he had his you know his hand up because. Trey Young has a pretty high shot. He can shoot over you. But Jimmy Butler was right there with his hand up showing him, you're not going to shoot over me. And you're not going to shoot over Jimmy Butler most likely. He's he's not a guy that will let that happen. So I think that they'll shut this Hawks team down. I can see the Hawks squeaking one game in, maybe even two if they can build up momentum. The Hawks are a team that if they get momentum going, they do stay pretty successful. But – I mean, this Miami team is impressive, and I think they can take on a lot of the people in the future rounds that they may face. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Miami's going to be a tough out in the East, no matter who they play. They can match up with mm-hmm. anyone. They're they're a, they're a terrible matchup for any team they play. Um, you know, I, I think they'll make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Personally, um, I don't know if I have them in the finals, but they're definitely going to be a tough out, and they definitely deserve more love, not just from us, but from everybody. Couple last things about the Hawks uh, before we move on. Uh, with Trey Young, you know he's had halves like that before. Even when they were playing Cleveland, he had a terrible half. I think he was like one of eight or one of ten to start off, and then caught fire. He's streaky. He can he can he can put up points in a hurry. But the key for Atlanta is for everyone else around him to be able to hit shots, and they didn't do that yesterday. Um, you know they surrounded him with shooters. They brought in Danilo Gallinari last year. Bogdan Bogdanovich, I mentioned. 
had you know drafted Kevin Herter. Herter, Herter, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I'll get that right one of these days. But you know, if those guys can't hit, you know, if you play that type of tough defense, which every team wants to take the ball out of Trey Young's hands, Atlanta's got no shot. Um, and then I forgot that Lou Williams is on. Sweet Lou. Lou Williams is on the roster for the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if he is injured or if he's just had too many of those uh, chicken wings for Magic City Strip Club or not, but uh, surprised to see him not playing. Well, from chicken wings, and now all of a sudden I'm 100% officially hungry, we will be going, moving on to the game that is quickly sweeping the nation, the internet, YouTube land, and the world. Not necessarily in all that order. It's another edition of NBA Player Or. Each week, I ask Montana five, if he can get the answers right, to five names that I give him. I ask him whether or not that person is an NBA player or someone from a different profession. Uh, in episode two, we did NBA Player Or European Politicians. Last week, we did NBA Player Or TV Weatherman. And today, we will be playing NBA player or 90s TV sitcom character. Okay. All right. I think this is going to be my one. I think I've got this one, maybe. Okay. Now, for those that uh, are first-time listeners or viewers or well beyond the arc, Montana just recently celebrated his 21st birthday doing the math. He was born in 2001. So I like to test his trivia knowledge and see, you know, how much history of the game Youngblood's got. So how the game is played, I think I've already mentioned that. But if Montana gets a question right, you will hear this sound. Victory! Thank you, Johnny Drama. And if Montana doesn't get the question right, you'll hear this sound. All right. Without further ado, let's get started. The first name for you today, Montana, is this an NBA player or 90s TV sitcom character? Now, for the 90s TV sitcom character, it's the name, the character's name in the TV show, not the actor's name. Just so we're clearing that up. All right. First one. Is this person an NBA player or a 90s TV sitcom character. The name is Alan Henderson. Alan Henderson. All right. Um, I am going to go with NBA player. Victory! Very good. Alan Henderson spent 12 seasons in the NBA, played for at the Atlanta Hawks, Dallas Mavericks, Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Philadelphia 76ers. All right. For the first time in the history of NBA player or Montana's gotten the first question right. All right. Well done, sir. Let's go on to the second one. The second person's name. Is this an NBA player or a 90s TV sitcom character? The name is Doug West. Doug West. Doug West, that could go either way, honestly. 
Um, I'm trying to think of the sitcoms I've watched and any of the any of the <laughs> names. That one does not ring a bell, and I've watched a few '90s sitcoms. So I'm gonna go with NBA Player. Victory! All right, yes. Doug West went to college at the at Villanova. He played 12 seasons in the NBA, mostly for the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Vancouver Grizzlies. All right, I'm doing a terrible job of stumping you today, but uh, well done on your part, sir. Thank you. All right. Can we make it three in a row? Let's find out. Person number three, is this an NBA player or 90s TV sitcom character? The name is Mark Cooper. Mark Cooper. I'm going to go, I'm going to switch it up and go with 90s sitcom character. Victory! He's on a roll, folks. Like NBA Jam back in the day, he's hit three in a row and he's on fire. Mark Cooper was a character in the TV show Hanging with Mr. Cooper that ran from 1992 to 1997, played by actor Mark Curry. I don't think he has any relation to Steph Curry, but neither here nor there. Montana, three for three. Nice job so far. Let's see if you can, as Sammy Sosa once said, keep it continue. Person number four, is this an NBA player or 90s TV sitcom character? Eddie Winslow. Eddie Winslow. Now this, oh, that name sounds really familiar. Um, I'm going to keep it with 90s sitcom character. Oh, he's on a roll now. Man, Eddie Wilson. Eddie Winslow. The pressure's on excuse now. Me. Yes, yes. Eddie Winslow, played by actor Darius McRae, was a character on the hit TV sitcom Family Matters, which aired from 1989 to 1998. I couldn't give you Steve Urkel, but well done, sir. All right. Can you get all five? We'll see. We'll see. The fifth and final name for all the marbles, Montana. Is this an NBA player or a TV sitcom character? The name is Sam Gorpley. Sam Gorpley. Oh, this might be the toughest one. This this is the one that I really, I had a slight idea for the first few, but I'm going to trust my gut and finish with 90s sitcom character. Flawless victory. <laughs> well done. All right. I need to go. I need to go do some homework. I didn't stump you on a single one of those. But for those at home, Sam <laughs> Gorpley was a character on the TV show Perfect Strangers, which ran from 1986 to 1993, played by actor Sam Anderson. I have no idea what else he did other than Perfect Strangers, but that doesn't matter. Montana, well done, sir. Five for five today. That brings you to 12 of 15, correct, on NBA Player Or. I'm really going to have to go back to the, the drawing board for, for next week, but give credit where credit's due. Well done, sir. Flawless victory. All right. Well, from winning to guys that can't get back on the court, uh, the opening weekend of the playoffs, unfortunately, has had the injury bug rear its ugly head. Um, 
a couple of guy key guys have gone down with, with some injuries here and their status for the rest of the series and the playoffs for that matter, depending on how far their team goes is unknown. Um, three guys I want to highlight. We've talked about Luka Doncic a little bit, and we may have jinxed Luka Doncic last week. He ended up with a calf injury after we recorded. So Luka Doncic is still going to be out for game two. Hopefully we'll return in game three for the Mavericks jazz series. But in addition to Luka Doncic, some other key injuries, Ricky Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors uh, left the game one series opener with the, the 76ers. His status is unknown. And then also Clint Capella center for the Hawks went out with an injury uh, during the play-in tournament. I think if we take, if we keep Luka Doncic in the conversation, we know the answer to the question. So let's, let's remove Luka Doncic, but between Scotty Barnes and Clint Capella, which of those two is going to be the bigger mm-hmm. loss for their team going forward? I think by far Clint Capella. Um, I think what he brings to that Hawks team is he brings, first of all, he brings some of that vet, you know, it's, it's hard to say that he's a vet, you know, he's, he's kind of been in the league for a little while now. I never thought I'd look at him as a vet. I have no hate towards him. I just, I've never looked at him as that type of player, but he's kind of moving towards being looked at as a vet. So I think having Clint Capella is huge, especially in the series they're in now. I think if they had him, I definitely see the series maybe going to a game six. Um, I still definitely don't have the winning series, but I think Capella would bring a level of intensity and a level of defense as well as he's not a bad offensive player. You know, he gets the ball moving. He is a decently efficient rebounder. So I think they're missing him by far. Obviously, Luka Doncic. I mean, he Luka's the one that is the biggest, but we are, I mean, we already know that. Without Luka, that Mavs team is just another Western Conference, you know, mid to low tier team honestly if we're if we're sitting here they're building but they're still mid to low but taking Luca out of it I'd say definitely Clint Capella is the biggest loss um because if you have him on that Hawks team I don't have them getting thrown around as much as they did by the Heat in game one okay I mean I, I agree that Clint Capella is an important player for the Atlanta Hawks but I'm gonna go with Scotty Barnes uh, the rookie for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Raptors were struggling earlier this year. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the Hawks falling to as low as 12. Early in the year, the Raptors were struggling and, you know, it looked like they were bound for the lottery. Uh, but they managed to turn it around. Now, part of that was getting Pascal Siakam back. But a, another big part of that is from uh, rookie of the year finalist, Scotty Barnes. He he provides, he's one of those guys, he's about 6'7", six, 6'8", six, uber athletic, a uh, 3 and D guy as well, but can do more than that. Um, and you know, there's more guys around the league now, and especially with the game moving to a perimeter based game, I think Scotty Barnes does more for Toronto than Clint Capella does for Atlanta. Clint Capella, obviously a double, double machine, very important player for the Hawks. Um, he's a body that can block some shots, get some rebounds. Um, you know, his skills on offense, you know, put back offensive rebounds and, uh, you know, catching lobs from Trey young, you know, very valuable. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, in a late game situation, you got to sit him because of his terrible free throw percentage. Now, granted, the fact that they have Danilo Gallinari at 6'10", they can have him play the five and, and really spread out the core for Trey Young. But I think I happen to believe that Toronto, who's not very deep, um, they have guys, they have uh, Gary Trent Jr., they have OG Ananobi, they have uh, Pascal Siakam, as I mentioned, um, picked up a, a couple vets at the tra- trade de- dreadline. Ah, deadline in Thad Young, but I think Toronto is definitely going to miss 
Scotty Barnes in a series against Philly, who, you know, they have Tobias Harris, they have um, you know, Tyrese Maxey, perimeter players, and they have James Harden, who they have to guard. And that's one less guy for the Toronto Raptors to throw out there against those guys. So for me, it's going to be Scotty Barnes. Yeah, and that's a huge loss for that Raptors team. Um, each player that's out is a key piece of their team. So, you know, it's not one of these situations where you have a low-tier bench guy out. It's You have key role players that are out. Whether they come off the bench or they start, you have some of your key pieces that would help you make the series more even out. So all of them are going to be hurting. Um, as you said, Raptors and, and uh, in my opinion, the Hawks are definitely hurting more. Um, Mavs, obviously, we both already agreed are on top because, you know, they're not a bad team, but they're not a team that makes me sit back and say, they have this series. Well, when they have Luka, I kind of sit back and say they have this series. Depending on who they're playing, if they had Luka in, I kind of would say they've got this series. But I think that all these teams will definitely be feeling the lack of those players in for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Hopefully Doncic makes it back for game three. We'll see. Um, the Mavericks played a, a very close game one at home, even without Luka Doncic. It probably was a lot closer than a lot of people thought, including myself. Um, but we'll see how that, you know, how that goes with uh, with Luka's injury. And let, let's stick on the series, though. Utah and Dallas, the 4-5 matchup with Dallas having the home court advantage. Um, we mentioned, you know, Doncic may be back for game three, but... Utah's got everybody healthy on their end and they barely squeaked out a victory. And, and there's been rumors all season long that, you know, their two of their their top two stars, Donovan Mitchell and center Rudy Gobert, have not been getting along. And they have probably haven't been getting along since right before the pandemic started. Um, there's been rumors of of Rudy Gobert being, you know, named in trade talks, you know, all uh, the rumor mill goes around. Um if Dallas happens to beat Utah in this series, is there a chance, Montana, that the Utah Jazz can blow up this roster and start from scratch? Or will they keep everyone intact and make another run at it, in your opinion? So, first of all, if Luka comes back in, I'm I'm calling this, this series. I think that the Mavs will have it. Even without Luka, I think this Mavs team could push it to a six, seven game series. Um, I think, I think that they play, they play, I think they're playing tonight while we're filming, or at least maybe, maybe they don't, they play either tonight or tomorrow night. Um, but I know playing they're as playing, we speak. Yep. So playing yeah, as we're recording. What's the score right now? Uh, Utah is up 55, 48 at the half. So, I mean, obviously Utah has an advantage when Luca is not on the floor. Um, but this, this jazz team. Speaking of Dallas, I'm going to make a comparison. I'm going to pull something from the NFL world really quick. Obviously, we're a basketball show, but the Utah Jazz are the Dallas Cowboys of the NBA. They have a fine record during the regular wow. season. They put on a show. They might be. They might make it into the playoffs with no problem. They go to the playoffs, and they choke, and they have choked, and they've had these players for the last few years. They've had Gobert. They've had Mitchell. They've had a solid team the last few years. They can't make it happen. Um, Dwayne Wade obviously is a part of this organization now up in the office and Dwayne Wade is not going to attach his name to a team that is choking in the playoffs. Dwayne Wade likes to win and he's done a pretty good job of it in his basketball career. So, you know, obviously he doesn't have a huge, you know, upfront role, but he's up there with this team and it's cool to see him obviously be a part of an organization. Um, 
So I think this 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 Utah team is going to choke like they always do. And then they're going to revisit the offseason. And I don't think you can move forward with Gobert and Mitchell. I think you need to move one of them. I say keep Mitchell. Keep Mitchell. Who lose anybody else? Anybody else on that roster, it doesn't really matter. There, there's some fine players. Keep Mitchell. That's your franchise guy at the moment. Get some more players around Mitchell. Rebuild around Donovan Mitchell. And if you can keep any of these other role players that are putting up decent numbers, keep them. But your only focus, if you're the Utah front office, is holding on to Mitchell and building a team up around him to try to actually be the team that everyone thinks they are during the regular season, come postseason time. Interesting takes. And and I got to hand it to the comparison of the Utah Jazz to the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't expect it, but that might be spot on, right? The, the Utah Jazz, I, I completely agree, a great regular season team. What have they done in the playoffs? Now, granted, they've run into some tough teams. You know, Donovan Mitchell does perform in the playoffs. That's one guy that you can count, to sh- count on to show up in the playoffs. Utah should be wiping the floor with Dallas while Luka Doncic is out. You know, a six-point victory, okay, a, a win on the road in the NBA is tough, especially in the playoffs, but they didn't do it in con- convincing fashion. Um, you got to take advantage of opportunities. You cannot let opportunities pass by, especially in the NBA playoffs. And, you know, if, if Luka can't go in, in game three, which we're all expecting him to play then, you know, Utah should be on the, on the, pre- on the cusp of a sweep. I don't think they will either, but I also don't think they necessarily need to blow it up. I think in this day and age, everybody's really quick to blow, blow teams up and, and have guys move around. Now, there's rumors just because, you know, we don't know if those guys don't really get along. I'm sure they're not the best of friends, but, you know, even watching them play, it's not like, you know, one guy doesn't help the other guy up if he falls and just like, you know what, screw this guy, you know, just leave him on the floor. They're still good teammates to each other. It seems like it. Um, there were some interesting stats thrown around of uh, Donovan Mitchell and how many times he passes the ball to Rudy Gobert, gamer of the season. I think it's the lowest in the league. I don't remember what the exact stat was, but little head scratching, but okay, fine. When you have young talent, and unless it's absolutely detrimental to your team, I don't think you let them go. And another thing everybody needs to remember, Salt Lake City, Utah is not exactly a free agent destination uh, for, for you know attractive free agents. Mike Conley Jr., they, got, they picked him up in a sign-in trade. Um, Donovan Mitchell, they drafted him. Rudy Gobert, they drafted him. I don't remember the last significant free agent that Utah signed. Maybe it was Carlos Boozer, you know, 12 years ago or more than that when he left Cleveland uh, after LeBron's rookie year. I don't know. So I'd be careful with blowing up the team. Now, Quinn Snyder should be given credit for at least the regular season success. He hasn't been able to adjust in the playoffs, but he's a name that's in in the rumorville of taking over for uh, as the next head coach of the Lakers. I wouldn't do it if I was him, but. That's just me. I think he's a good coach, but regular season coach, not necessarily a playoff coach. I would just be very careful about blowing up that team. Very talented, but the biggest thing in the playoffs is you got to be able to execute. And, you know, unfortunately, when teams and players don't execute, they call for people's heads. Everybody wants to, to switch out players and, 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 you know, kind of blow these things up. But I would caution the Utah Jazz organization and their part owner, Dwayne Wade, which I'm sure Utah would wish that he was in his prime and playing in a Utah Jazz uniform at the moment, but be careful what you wish for Utah Jazz, jazz fans. If you want to blow this thing up, if they lose, it might be a, a tough few years after that. 
And it could be. And and the whole thing is when you blow up a roster, even if you keep that star player, it can still go south. We've seen it go south. We've seen players and teams that are like, this is going to be a better setup. They blow the roster up, and then they're worse off than they were before. The only reason I don't see that is because specifically that Mitchell and um, Gobert connection isn't there. We've seen players not like each other and win. We've seen players dominate. Kobe and Shaq, you know? Obviously, they had a lot of turmoil and a lot of stuff go down. Um, I would say as close as brothers at the end of the day, at least when it was all said and done, but a lot of turmoil, a lot of stuff while they played together. Um, But they had a connection. They made it work. They had a very dangerous, scary, consistent connection. I haven't seen that from Gobert and Mitchell. And part of it, I think, is intentional. I think Mitchell is is over Gobert. I think, you know, Gobert is a – mid-level player now I've never really been a big fan of him you know he's obviously won his awards he's made certain teams this and that but I've never been that impressed you know he's never really made a push in the playoffs or become a leader like a player with some of his awards should be so I say you you get rid of him um I don't see you getting anyone super big for him so you need to throw in a couple other things in there but I say you rebuild, and that doesn't specifically mean you rebuild with youth. That doesn't mean you rebuild with draft picks and with younger players. Throw a couple of vets in there. See if you can get some vets in the offseason to put around Mitchell. Let Mitchell be the leader, but still have some vets around him because that team doesn't have a lot of pure vets either. Get some like pure vets there to just be that voice and be that leadership and see what happens. So, you know, I mean, they, they do have their players that have played their basketball and had their time, but when we t- talk about veteran leaders, I don't think they have any veteran leaders there. So I kind of agree with you. It can be a dicey thing blowing up a roster, but I think that this team isn't going to go anywhere until they do something, and it might take something that drastic. Yeah, I I mean, I think they do have a couple of guys. Now, granted, I don't know if I would call these guys championship experience. I mean, Rudy Gay's been along for a long time. Mike Connolly Jr. has been along for a long time. But outside of that, you know, they – don't really have guys that have gone past the second round. So I'll give you that. But I, I agree with, you know, if you have to pick between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, one, you just locked up Donovan Mitchell to a long-term deal. Rudy Gobert, I think, even though there's not very many 7-3 guys that are athletic and can block shots and have as many Defensive Player of the Year awards on the resume as Rudy Gobert does, I think he's the one you, tra- you trade and get value for. And a rumor that scared me here in Chicago is in the offseason, they'd look to trade Rudy Gobert here to the Bulls for Nikola Vucevic, and who happens to be my whipping boy for this season, and Kobe White. If I'm Utah, I do that all day long. If I'm uh, Bulls front office guys, Arturis Kondishevis and uh, Mark Eversley, stay away. Don't do it, AK. Don't do it. <laughs> all right. Now, speaking yeah. of awards, especially the Defensive Player of the Year award, the NBA has released their top three finalists for each of the main awards. Uh, MVP, six-man, most improved player of the year, uh, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, and the coach of the year. We're not going to give our picks on who we think we should win today, but Montana, I want to go through this with you, and let's see if the NBA got it right. Now, there was one award they did give out today. And that was for the Defensive Player of the Year award. And the finalists were, real quick, the aforementioned Rudy Gobert, who's won the award many times in his career. And surprisingly, a couple non-big men for once. We have Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics and Mikhail Bridges of the West Leading Phoenix Suns. Now, 
It was announced earlier today, earlier this evening, actually, that Marcus Smart is the 2021-22 NBA Defensive Player of the Year. He's the first point guard, if you will, or guard to win the award since Gary Payton, the glove, did it 1995-96. Montana, do did the NBA get it right with those three finalists, and did the voters get it right with Smart? Marcus Smart winning the award. So I will say, for who won it, for who was in the finalists, I will say they got it right. Marcus Smart brings a lot to the court, and it's not just on the court. He brings a lot to the team. I think he loves the team he's on. I think he plays for the city. He plays He plays for the fan base. I think he's a player that will give you everything, and we saw that because this Defensive Player of the Year award is dominated by big men, you know, dominated by power forwards and centers. It is a very power forward and center dominated award at the moment. You know, we've seen the Dwight Howards win it, the Joakim Noahs. We've seen all these players that are big men winning it. So to see a guard win it for the first time since one of the greatest defensive players of all time is an amazing thing to see. But there's a player missing from that three list that I think would have won it if they were on it, and that would be Bam. Bam. Bam is the heart and soul of Miami. We talk about obviously Jimmy Butler, um, but I would say Bam is the heart and soul of that Miami team. I think he is one of the most talented Miami players pound for pound, and I think he does an amazing job on defense. Um, And I think had he been in that list, uh, and I think he would have replaced uh, Gobert. 10 out of 10, I think he should have been on there. Had he been on that list, Bam would have won it all. But with the list that they gave us, I do believe Marcus Smart deserved it because he plays with heart, he plays with intensity, and he's a really, really solid basketball player IQ-wise. We see him make switches and do things defensively that just show off his amazing IQ. So he definitely deserved it for the list they gave us, but I would have bumped Gobert off and put Bam on, and then that would have, in my opinion, made Bam the winner of that award. Yeah, I I'll, I'll disagree. I I didn't have a problem with the list. Um, you know, for me, one of the best abilities someone has, the t- best ability is availability. And, and Bam only played in fifty six games. Um, I just checked Rudy Gobert sixty six. You know, ten more. That's fine. Um, but I, I didn't have a problem with the finalists. I think you know, if healthy, Bam out of bio, absolutely on that list, absolutely should have been uh, a finalist for sure. But I, I didn't have a problem with it. And I just wanted one more excuse to say Marcus Smart, you know, like the Boston Celtics fans do. So good, you know, the fact that the the league is moving, you know, the, the way the the game's cha- played has changed in the NBA, and I'm I'm happy to see a perimeter guy finally win it. There are the guys that have to lock up these three point shooters and figure out, okay, these guys going to shoot from the outside, or they're going to take it to the bucket, and then run into the big men like, you know, a Rudy Gobert or Bam Adebayo and things like that. So no problems for me there. But the rest of the awards that haven't been won yet, let's just go through these quickly. You know, if we, yeah, either one of us have a problem, let's stop and let's talk about it. But MVP, the three finalists, as expected, were Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Yanis Adetokounmpo. And any issues with the MVP finalists? Um, I would say no. I have no problems with MVP. Um, I think that it's going to be interesting who they pick. But I think all three of those players overall definitely deserve to be on the list. All three of them had outstanding seasons, both sides of the ball, pretty consistent. And all, all three of them led their teams to pretty decent, you know, playoff spots. So 
absolutely yeah. i'd say all three of them deserve to be on that list and it'll be exciting to see who wins it but yeah i have no problem with that list yeah. at all yeah no neither do i i think the nba got it right with those three names and uh well we shall see that's definitely that's usually the war that's uh, announced last so we'll see what happens there most improved player of the year award i have a bone to pick with this list there's winston garland of the cavaliers made his first all-star team uh john morant the memphis grizzlies and then DeJounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs. But there's two names that I thought were going to be on here that weren't, and that's Jordan Poole, the Golden State Warriors, and Desmond Bain of the Memphis Grizzlies. So my bone to pick with this one here, I think Jordan Poole not only should have been on the list, but I think he had a good chance to win it. In my mind, he he's right there, one or two, as far as the, the, the most improved player of the year award winner in my book. Winston Garland, he, you know, in terms of numbers, um, he upped his numbers a little bit. He did make an all-star team for um, for the first time. From an eye test standpoint, yes, he's improved. Absolutely. Good for him. DeJounte Murray, same thing. First time all-star. His numbers bumped up a little bit, got a couple more minutes. Those two, their roles didn't really change too much. You can make the same argument for John Moran as far as his role not changing, and he was injured a good amount of the year as well. Um and we talked about what, what the Memphis Grizzlies record was without him, which will cost him MVP votes. But I was really surprised not to see Jordan Poole's name on there. And I thought him and Desmond Bain did improve just as much. I mean, Jordan Poole was, you know, either a six man or a starter for the Warriors, depending on who was, who was injured or on that squad. He came up from the G league. Um, you know, I, I thought he really balled out this year. And for me, I should, I would not only, I know we're not talking about winners, but I think, Jordan Poole should have been on this list. What about you? Um, I would say I can agree with you about Jordan Poole. Um, Desmond Bain, I agree. You know, great player. Definitely made some improvements. But when we talk about a player that stepped up for their team, and it's not that Bain did not, but Jordan Poole came in, and like you said, sixth man or starter, depending on who they played or who was injured or who was, you know, depending on the lineup. Poole came in. This Warriors team played way better basketball than they did last year. Obviously, they improved from the season before last season, but they just picked it up to become the two seed. So, so huge jump. Um, when you have Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, as well as a lot of those role players, you know, it doesn't hurt. You're probably going to be one of those top few teams. Um, you hope. So it, it was good to see them get there. They would not have gotten there without a player like Jordan Poole because when there were players that were injured or restricted minutes or different lineups, Poole stepped up every time. Poole is what I would say the perfect example of most improved player is. He played his role no matter what that meant every single game. And every single time he stepped on that court, he made his voice known. So I would say Jordan Poole, I agree, should be on that list. Again, um, I think the list is pretty solid. Uh, John Morant, played like an MVP caliber player. Obviously that record didn't help. And from where he was last season with injuries and just everything, like he, he belongs on this list. He definitely does because he's elevated this game. But mm -hmm. I definitely think that we should have seen Jordan Poole on this list as well. Okay. Well, as far as the other awards here, sixth man of the year, NBA has Tyler Hero of the Heat. Uh, Cam Johnson of the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't necessarily have a problem with this list. I think it's Tyler Hero's award to lose. Um, any any disagreements there from you? 
I don't disagree with the list. Um, Tyler Hero's award to lose, I could maybe argue about, but I know we're not diving too deep into that. Obviously, once the award's announced, we can have our friendly debate about, you know, if we think they deserve it. But I think that list-wise, I think it's great. I think all three of those players stepped up. And Tyler Hero, because he had a great season, his first season, his rookie season, you know, that was the that was a great, like, people, you know, were hyping him up. Last season, kind of disappeared. That Heat team went through a couple of problems with injuries and lineup problems. And just, it wasn't as successful as the season as the season before. But this season, all the way through, he has played great. And even in that first playoff game, he came out and he hit some really, really highly contested good shots. So I definitely think all three of these players, and it's great to see Kevin Love out there. I, I'm a huge Kevin Love guy. Um, you know, he brings a lot to the sport outside of just actually basketball. You know, he brings a lot of character to the sport. You know, he does a lot with mental health awareness. He's a really big activist for professional athletes and just people in general. So I love the guy. I kind of hope he's the one that walks away with it just because of who he is. Um, but this list to me is solid. All right. Tyler Hero, I think youngest player ever to start an NBA Finals game. At least he was as of two years ago. I think he's also the only player in the NBA to average 20 or more points coming off the bench. And Miami's a, a one seed. My only arguments, but we'll make that. We'll we'll save that for when they when they announce the awards. Finally, the last two awards we have: Rookie of the Year and Coach of the Year for Rookie of the Year. Detroit's Cade Cunningham, the number one overall pick of the 2021 draft. Scotty Barnes, we talked about a little bit from the Toronto Raptors, and Evan Mobley from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Any names you expected to see on here that you didn't? No, I mean no. this draft. This last draft class brought the most, like, talented players, but talented in different ways. But those three players were all amazing for their teams and brought a lot to the to the, each game, each team. Like, Great. I honestly – that list to me is perfect. Well-deserved, all three of them. And there's so many other rookies that had great seasons, but these three set themselves apart from the rest for sure. Yeah. The only other name I would have – thought to at least be in the conversation was Jalen Green of the Rockets, but he was putting up heavy numbers for for a bad team, and, and those three guys definitely made more of an impact for their team, even though the Pistons didn't win too much more games than, than the Rockets, or they might have had the same exact record, but Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley definitely had a positive impact. In my opinion, I think it's going to come down to those two. And finally, Coach of the Year, we have mm -hmm. Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Spolster of the Miami Heat, and Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. Did we get it right? Did the NBA get it right with that list, or anybody else that you were expecting to see on there? That's gonna be another tough. So one. I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball out here. Yeah, it is. I'm gonna throw a curveball out here, and it might be a curveball that draws some some questions about what I'm about why I'm throwing this out here. I'm going to throw. Steve Kerr in the conversation. And I don't think he's really in the conversation. I don't think Steve Kerr is in the conversation. Um, my reasoning for, and again, that is kind of an out, way outside pick. Obviously, very successful coach. Uh, maybe not way outside, but more outside than what some might say. You know, it's not, those three coaches had great seasons. But Steve Kerr brought a team that went from the top to the bottom, back to the top, within a pretty short amount of time. 
most teams, there's a longer stretch, even if you had success, even if you had, look at the Bulls, for example, after they lost, you know, Jordan, all those players, they went way down. Obviously, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I hate to be reminded of that time. <laughs> I'm sure. Not a, not a good time. Th- th- thank Obviously, you. Thank you, Cornell David and Dalibor uh, uh, Balgarich. Sorry, yeah, great. Continue. great. What a, a great team to, you know, probably some years the Bulls, Bulls fans want to remember or forget, excuse me, not remember. See, I'm, yeah, definitely not remember. So, Obviously, the Warriors kept their main core of stars, unlike the Bulls did. You know, they lost Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman. But this Warriors team was not a guaranteed second seed this year. You know, Clay is coming back from an injury. Steph had a good season last season, but people are still questioning Steph for some reason before the season started. Questioning his greatness. Draymond Green not getting the respect he deserved for what he does for that team. So there was a lot of stuff against them. Wiseman, one of their young stars that they bet on and picked up and were so excited about, didn't even get to see the court. So there was a lot against them. And Steve Kerr did a great job of guiding them and leading them up to that second seed, even through some tough stretches. So I say Steve Kerr is on that list. And I say he knocks out Spolstra. Spolstra's been here. Spolstra's had teams that have been making the playoffs and been consistent. We have seen Spolstra and that team be in the mix. This Warriors team hasn't even made the playoffs the last two seasons. So to bring the Warriors back in second seed fashion, I think puts them on this list for me. I, I personally don't have that much of a problem with the list. I, I don't necessarily agree with the Steve Kerr pick, but I understand why you went there. Um, the one name I would have wanted to see on here is uh, J.B. Bickerstaff of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, you know, if the Bulls would have done better in the second half and competed for a top two or three spot, I would have said Billy Donovan, but they just completely uh, wet the bed in the second half. But I, I think that no one had Cleveland even competing for a, pl- a playing spot. I think everybody had the Cleveland Cavaliers as a 21 team. The fact that they even came very close to even qualifying for the playoffs, I think J.B. Bickerstaff need, should get, should have gotten a lot of credit. But the, the counter-argument is who you take off this list. And I don't have a problem with anyone on this list. Um, it'll be interesting to see who the voters go for. Um, you know, if I did have to take somebody off this list, it's tough. I would probably have to take Spolster out as well, but I, I don't have a problem with any of those three winners. But we'll see over the next few weeks who the NBA um, writers uh, will, will vote as each of these uh, prestigious award winners uh, capped with the MVP award. So it'll be an interesting next uh, few weeks and we'll see what happens. So, well, that is all the time we have here for Well Beyond the Arc uh, as we close our fourth episode. Uh, don't forget, Montana has uh, another podcast uh, we should be checking out. Montana, uh, mind plugging that real quick? Yeah, so it's uh, it's called The Connor and Heffernan Show. Uh, right now we're on Spotify and Podbean and Amazon Music. Um, waiting for that Apple thing. I feel like I'll say that every episode, but still waiting <laughs> to figure the Apple thing. Am my editing guys figuring that out? And then we are starting a YouTube channel so we can kind of gain some YouTube traffic as well. I will probably plug that next episode because we still haven't gotten it set up, but there will be a YouTube you can also go to if you want to watch a short condensed version of our entire episode. So at the Connor and Heffernan show on all those platforms. All right. And please also, and I happen to follow the 
a new follower of the Connor and Heffernan show. So please be sure to check that out. And also, uh, please check out my blog. It's the called the Sports Page Blog. You can find it at the Sports Play Sports Page Blog.com. Uh, just released an article today about uh, a New Jersey native by the name of Eugene Campbell III uh, and his inspiring story, unlikely story of creating his own opportunities to play pro ball over in Europe. So be sure to check that out. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us on Well Beyond the Arc. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. And to my Bulls, please shoot more than 33% from the field. I, you know, I don't see us beating Milwaukee, but at least put up a fight, guys. All right. So long, everybody.